So uh, we, we've been in this series kind of exhorting the, uh, exhorting the families of this house to live out their calling to be kingdom families, creating a kingdom culture in the home. And the verse that we've used to set the stage for this entire series is taken from Deuteronomy. And just a little bit of background. This is Moses who's preparing the next generation of Israelites. They've been set free from Egypt taken through the Red Sea, got on the other side of the Red Sea, and now they've been wandering for 40 years, which that trip shouldn't have taken that long. And because of their unbelief, a whole generation of Israelites has died out. Moses is preparing this next generation. And um, he, he's basically saying, listen, as you enter into the promised land, as you enter into the land flowing with milk and honey, you need to obey God's commands to live under the covering of his blessing, to experience his provision and his protection. And throughout the book of Deuteronomy, you'll see Moses gives a couple of exhortations and, and we'll look at that here as we look at verse six, but he also warns them, if you rebel, then you're gonna be taken into exile, okay? So you better behave, is what he's saying. Let, let's, now, it's, so it's not this verse that I'm necessarily preaching out of, but there's a principle we find in this verse that we've seen since the ancient of days where it, it remains true today about God. So let's read it. It says this, Deuteronomy 6, I'm starting in verse 3. This is Moses addressing the Israelites. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey then all will go well with you and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, your God of your ancestors promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. You can see there's this, there's this passionate exhortation, commit yourselves to the commands of the Lord. Those who love the Lord will obey his commandments. Moses is saying, express your love through obedience. You, you need to treasure these commands. You need to know these commands. He continues to go on addressing this in verse seven. He says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you go to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them around your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He's like, uh, like you guys almost got to act foolish. Whatever you got to do. Uh, this, his commands need to be solidified, sealed, stored up in your heart, in your spirit. I, 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 want it, I want it to be engraved on your heart, my word. I don't want you to just know it. I want you to be obedient to it, right? And so there's a couple principles that we find in this verse. We see that there's great blessing that comes from obedience, but we also know that we don't have the capability to follow the law completely to obey every single command. That's why we praise God for Jesus, who came as the fulfillment of the law. Jesus came and did what we could not do and uh, offered us a reward that we did not deserve, that we did not earn. Jesus said, I will come and fulfill the law. I will be sacrificed. So when you put faith in me, uh, you will get to reap of the rewards that only I could earn. The sacrificial lamb, the most precious blood, so now we're no, under the, we're no longer under the law 
of, or, or we're no longer under the Old Testament law, but now we're under the law of the Spirit. So God, when we place faith in Jesus, he puts his Spirit in us, and we'll talk more about this here in just a moment, but he puts his Spirit in us, and so now we're under the law of the Spirit. Now, to know what is right to do and to not do it is sin. Right now, it's not just about not killing someone. It's about not holding hatred in your heart. And Jesus equates those things. Now the law under the spirit, it's deeper. There's a a greater refinement of our character. We're becoming Christ-like. So now as we submit to the spirit, we know the word of God is the sword of the spirit, but he's also convicting our hearts. He's whispering to our hearts where to turn, what to pick up, what to put down, how to love, how to forgive, all of those things. He's leading us. He's guiding us now. Amen? So we know that through our obedience. There's still a call to obedience. He's still the king of our lives. He's our master. We're servants of righteousness, right? So there's still a call to obedience. And and so we see the principle that great obedience brings great reward. But even more than that, specifically for this series, we see God's heart for the family. That God cares how the measure of faith in our family is stewarded from generation to generation. So much so, he, he uh, prophetically enables Moses to command the Israelites to tell your children and your grandchildren. Talk about it when they get up. Talk about it when they go to bed. Talk about it when you drive to the games. Talk about it after the games. Talk about it when you drop them off to school. Talk about it when you pick them up from school. This is, this is his, we, we know that Jesus is the word made flesh right? And so this is, this is a call for us, how, how this applies to us today. This is about us bringing Jesus back to the center, the person in the presence of Jesus coming back to the center of our homes. And, that, and this is what this represents here. It's a call back to the table. We've talked about this in the weeks past. It's, it's not so much just sitting at the table, but it's what the table represents. It, it represents quality and communion, It represents making time, having a place where we share about the things of God, where we share about our highs and our lows from our week and from our days and how God's word applies to those. This is where the head of our home sits and shares wisdom with his or her family, depending on the situation, but where you share and where you lead and where you disciple. This is where, this is a space that we allow, that we make room for, where we'll pray with one another and we'll intercede on behalf of one another. And what does God's word say? This is, this is bringing Christ back to the center. That's what this represents. This is quality and, and, and patience and communion. The table, everyone say the table. And so what we've been addressing is here recently through, through, through the come and go of life, through the rushing in and the, and the rushing out, the sports agendas, the, the uh, conveniency of social media, the two salary homes, uh, all the video games and television subscriptions and the commitments to the gym and other activities with our overbooked, overcrowded schedules, have we sacrificed the table? Where we give our time to all these other things and we prioritize all these other things and we structure our schedule around all these other things and, it's, and we run in and we, and we run out and it's like, all right, go to bed. All right, we get up in the morning. All right, drop you off. Have a good day. Okay, we got games after school. We got to go. Okay, I got to go to the gym and then I'll be right back. Okay. And in the craze, in the chaos, have we sacrificed the table for a tablet? And the series is about us trading back in our tablets symbolically, metaphorically, illustratively, 
No, it was worth a shot. It's a, it's a trade. For us to recognize, identify, and then adapt if chaos has been the king of our home rather than Christ. If we, if we observed our rhythms and our patterns, what would those communicate as king of our homes? What would those things communicate we value most? This series is about families coming back to the table. Again, not just necessarily literally, but it's creating that space. It's that, it's that space where Christ is brought to the center. We can bring the table into our car and we can talk about the things of God and we can pray with each other on our way to the games. And as we're in the gym and as we're suffering through our workout, we can think about his word and how uh, suffering produces perseverance. And so we, we incorporate his word and his commands. We can, as we drop them off at school, we pray over them before they get out of our car. It's about incorporate. It's about living a Christ centered life, living with his word at the center. And so, and so we've talked about this, but my concern is if, if chaos remains king in our homes, and if we don't make time for the table, then we're not discipling our homes. There's no discipleship happening in our homes. And so we're getting Jesus for one hour a week. We fix our eyes on Jesus for one hour a week at church. And the calling is greater than that. It's more invasive than that. God cares about us as individuals. There's a calling for us to be the priests of our homes. This is about answering that call, about him opening our eyes, allowing him to convict our hearts and respond accordingly. Amen? All right. That's, I haven't even prayed yet. So let's pray and then I'll jump into this. Jesus, we love you so much. We pray right now through the power of your spirit that you would anoint this word to be powerful and effective and that you till the soil of every heart in the room. God, I pray every heart that's under this voice, whether that's in the room or that's on a podcast, whatever it might be, God, uh, that it would be fertile ground to receive the seed of your truth, that that seed would take root in our hearts and grow to produce fruit in our lives. We don't just want to come in week after week, nod, agree with the word, then walk out and live the same. We want to be transformed by your word. We believe it's alive and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Allow it to cut away the things from our life that need to be cut away. Holy Spirit, you have permission. We're here. Cultivate our character. Cultivate us into a company of kingdom people. And I pray that we continue to foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. As we peer back into the Old Testament, we see a man named Jacob. I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so uh, maybe we're familiar with some of those sons. Maybe we're not. Maybe we're somewhere in in the middle of that spectrum. But uh, his oldest son is, well, Jacob has uh, two different wives. And then he uh, ends up having some intimate experiences with his handmaids and gets some sons from them. And so maybe we know some of them. Judah is, is the labeled the strongest and Reuben was the oldest and he was kind when they were trying to kill Joseph. He was trying to devise a plan to go against them somewhat. Benjamin was the youngest and we all know Joseph and Joseph is the favorite. And so each one kind of has some of these characteristics, but in Genesis 37, all the 11 brothers come together. Again, Reuben was trying to sort of get out of it and, and be helpful. He wasn't necessarily courageous, but he was trying to work out his kindness in the situation secretively. Uh, 
but they attempt to kill their brother Joseph. They're jealous. They are perceiving him to be boastful and arrogant as he shares about his dreams. And so uh, they plan to throw him into a pit to allow him to die there. Through a course of events, they just end up selling him into slavery. Okay? And uh, so that's not a, a great beginning. That's not a very kind thing to do to your siblings. And we all said, amen. So uh, what we don't hear a whole lot about is Jacob's eighth son named Asher. Now, Asher played a part in, in attempting to kill Joseph. But what's ironic about Asher is he wasn't even born, born from Rachel or Leah, one of Jacob's legitimate wives. He uh, was birthed through the handmaid. And when he uh, came out of the womb, his mother named him Asher. And Asher means happy. See, he's like, she brought him great joy, so she named him Asher. But as you identify some of the characteristics of his upbringing, what he was born into, uh, not he being a half son, maybe feeling illegitimate in that way or, or, or whatever that might be, and then attempting to kill his brother, I think we look at the beginning of Asher's life and it's like, I don't know how happy this beginning is. It's not a very happy beginning. It's ironic, you know, like the dysfunction of his own family, the parental favoritism, the sibling rivalry, the deceit, the resentment, playing a role in attempting to kill his brother. Um, it's not a happy beginning. And, and when we look at the scriptures, and we've talked about this before, but when, when we look through the text, we see a lot of family dysfunction. Adam and Eve, no sooner out of the garden, uh, there's one of their sons murders the other. Noah's forced to devise a plan uh, or, or Noah's sons are forced to devise a plan to hide their father's drunken shame. Jesse's sons, they're warriors, but they're cruel to their younger brother. David is a man after God's own heart, but he can't keep his household in order. He has some crazy sons. And I was sitting, putting this message together, and I thought about a lot of you. We've sat down, we've had conversations. And I think about some of the dysfunction that's contaminated our lives that maybe we grew up in, and have grown out of, and have been healed and restored from, or maybe some of the dysfunction that we currently find ourselves in, and we're all somewhere in this journey and in this story. But as I've had conversations, I know there's people in this church who have experienced sexual abuse in their own family. I know there's people who have experienced physical abuse in their own home, emotional abuse. Maybe some of you were neglected by a parent once they remarried when you were a kid. You became a secondary issue maybe felt further than that. Some of you have experienced a heartbreaking divorce. Maybe mom had different men in and out of the house your whole childhood. Maybe some of you were offered, I, I know that some of you have been, were, were offered into the foster care system as a kid, feeling abandoned by the people who were supposed to love you most. We could sit here and we could share our stories. And, and as we'd listen, I think our hearts would be grieved over what many of us in the room have, have had to walk through in life, Right? But, but even considering all of that, uh, many of you that were affected by the previous generation's cycle of sin, uh, the sin cycle has stopped and will stop with you. And, and this is one of the beautiful things about knowing Jesus, placing faith in Jesus, and following Jesus, is that our spirit, you know, when, when we place faith in Jesus, everything in the spirit realm shifts. 
And because we're so, uh, there's so much proximity, physical proximity with the physical realm that, that we can see and taste and touch and we have these physical senses. Sometimes this material world feels like the only real thing, but we know there's a spiritual realm that is very real that affects what happens in this physical realm, right? But through replacing faith in Jesus, we receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And so what our spirits were once dominated by and contaminated with, as we place faith in Jesus, he cuts the cord with those things. He unties our spirit from whatever we've been tethered to, from whatever darkness was reigning, uh, was lording over our life, and he tethers our spirit to his. He knits us together. Our spirit joins with his spirit. Right? And, and, and so um, as, we, as our spirit is knit together with his spirit, we receive his divine healing. There's something that happens with our spiritual DNA where, where we're becoming new. We become new. And, and so now we have access to his divine healing. We have access to his divine wisdom, to his divine love, and we're made completely new. He, he makes us whole. Romans talks about it, Romans 8, because I know this is kind of a strange concept, but it says this, Romans 8, verse 16, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So there's some dysfunction from the past that we were tethered to and we were tied to. But when we place faith in Christ, our spirit is knit together with him and we're reparented by God. Therefore, some of the dysfunction so some of the things that our, 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 the generation before us battled with and warred with will stop with us. It says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm we're God's children. And since we are his children, we are heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. There, there was a season where once our lives radiated with sin and maybe the generation before us, their sin radiated onto us and contaminated and, and polluted us. But when Jesus took on the cross, when he was put in the grave, when he resurrected, he gave us access to righteousness. He purified us. So where through faith in Christ, his spirit would join with my spirit, I, I would receive a new spiritual DNA. And this new spiritual DNA that was existing, even though maybe nothing had changed in the physical realm, even though maybe I didn't look different, still had the same biological parents and siblings, still lived in the same place, there was something that happened in the spirit that would prove stronger than the dysfunction of my past, stronger than the hurt and the pain of my past, and it would be no match for the power of his love, that even though I was in the same physical place, he brought me somewhere new spiritually. Yeah. Yeah. His spirit joins with our spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He sets us free. And notice, as we place faith in Christ, as we're adopted into the family of faith, as we're brought into the kingdom of heaven, we don't just radiate his glory now, but it says that we'll share in his suffering as well. So, so now, what's beautiful about following Jesus is even the way we suffer is sanctified. We even suffer differently now. Because mom would turn to men to fill the hole, to numb the pain, to be validated, but you will not. And dad turned to the bottle 
when suffering came and when hardship came, but you will not. Amen? We won't give up on our families when the going gets rough because we understand we're going to share in his suffering, but God's even using that as well. Amen? Jesus is using you to change the legacy of your family because Jesus changes everything. It's the work of Christ and you and in me that's cultivating these kingdom cultures in our home. Some of you, some of you, you're not coming from pain and trauma and tragedy. You're actually carrying a mantle of faith, but I want us to have enough faith to believe that, yeah, my mom and dad prayed with me and, and they were, stayed married the entire time and they loved me and brought me to church and I was raised up and honestly didn't really have a wayward season. God's grace covered me. I experienced his favor, but you know what? He's gonna do something so significant in me. The measure of faith that's gonna be passed into my home is gonna be a growing measure. God's gonna do something new, something greater through me. Maybe that's some of your stories. But like many of you who didn't have a great start, Asher's in the boat with you, right? And and yet God's grace, even in Asher's story, changed everything. And so I want to peer into Asher's story and find hope that the grace of God is powerful enough and sufficient enough to entirely rewrite the legacy that we'll leave on earth. He will transform our family. He will transform the culture of our families into a kingdom culture. That's what he'll do. And so Asher, uh, he has, ends up having four sons, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, and Berea, or Bariah, and then uh, one daughter, Sarah. And what's fascinating about Sarah is out of his 53 grandsons, she's the only daughter that's named. And we don't learn about her, a, a whole lot about her, because, and the reason that would be is because in this time, it was a patriarchal society, they only kept track of genealogies with the males that were birthed. And we've talked a little bit about that, uh, but she was mentioned. And so the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot, but there's other Jewish history where we find out that this woman was of great virtue and went on to have tremendous impact. And what's even more interesting is uh, Jewish rabbinical literature says that Sarah was actually Asher's stepdaughter. So when she was three years old, uh, Sarah's mom and Asher got married. And so Asher is leading a blended family. It's appropriate in in, in today's culture, right? Kind of just a unique parallel. But uh, he he, he welcomes them in and, and he raises them. So you have Asher, who's the eighth son. When Jacob's dying, he takes a moment to share a prophetic word with each one of his 12 sons. And Every, all the 12 sons, they receive a different word. Not all of them are encouraging words, but Asher is. Now remember Asher's beginning. He's done some naughty things. He's done some bad things. But this was Jacob's word to Asher, his word of blessing. It says this in Genesis 49, 20. Asher will dine on rich foods and produce food fit for kings. Interesting. Asher will dine on rich foods and produce food fit for kings. What's interesting is fast forward 400 years, Asher's long gone at this point, but his descendants remain. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is preparing the next, the tribes of Israel to enter into the promised land. And so Moses gives a prophetic word to the descendants of Asher and it matches what his dad would say. Look at this. I think this is so interesting. Uh, So Moses is going through the 11 tribes, kind of speaking a word over those tribes. And he actually, for some reason, mentions Asher last. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy 33. Moses said this about the tribe of Asher. May Asher be blessed above other sons. May he be esteemed by his brothers. 
May he bathe his feet in olive oil. May the bolts of your gates be iron and bronze. May you be secure all of your days. And so I looked up with some of these because that, that sounds cool, but it's also like, all right, but what does that mean? You know what I mean? Uh, s- sounds good, but help, help me out here. And, and so olive oil, was, it's much prized in, in Bible times. It's used for food preparation, health, hygiene. Uh, it's used by the biblical writers as a symbol of plenty and gladness. Okay, so this picture of bathing feet in oil is one of extravagance, enjoying great prosperity. And then it mentions, uh, in the second half of the verse, it mentions the bolts of your gates will be iron and bronze. That's him declaring that uh, Asher's tribe will be strongly defended. So this prophetic word from God, there's favor from God. There's grace from God over Asher's family line, even though he didn't always get it right that the descendants of Asher are going to live with gladness and with abundance, and they're going to be well secure and they're going to be well protected. God's blessing is on them. And so here's what I want us to catch today. I know over the past few weeks, we, we've challenged all of you. If, if you've been here, if it's your first morning, then you've been challenged this morning to reprioritize the table, to get back to the table, to, to incorporate his word, uh, to pray together, to have the courage and the boldness to do this. Uh, some of you have texted me personally and you've shared how this has convicted you and uh, changed your routines and your rhythms and your patterns. We've confronted our apathy in being the priests and the pastors of our home. But here's what I want you to catch though. As we peer into Asher's life and the descendants of Asher's, we find hope that God in his grace is able to restore uh, what, what previous decisions from generations before uh, may have done. Asher didn't have it all together, yet his family line that would come after, God, God would do something beautiful. And here's what I believe. Here's what I want to have faith for. I want us to cultivate expectation. As we take the principles written about in Deuteronomy 6, as we prioritize the table, as we pray for one another, as we discuss his word, as we intercede for one another, as we love each other well, as we get back to communion with one another, Christ-centered communion with one another, I want to believe that God will develop in our family legacy, in our faith legacy, what he gracefully allowed and was willing to do in Asher's legacy. And this is what we see in 1 Chronicles 7.40. This, it talks about the blessing that his family received. It says this, all these were sons, descendants of Asher. And, and here's what the, the descendants that came after him, th- this is what ended up happening with them. They were heads of their father's houses. They were heads of their father's houses. They were choice men, courageous men, and chief leaders. Okay, we see four things there. I want to believe as we prioritize, as as we bring Jesus back to the center, as we pour and invest and disciple into our kids, I want to believe that God will cultivate these same things in the generations after us. Amen? First one is this. Our kids would grow to be heads of their homes. A destiny church sounds like this for us, that they would be tone setters. Okay, but as we consider these things, that, that, that's what this means in, in this first line here. They were heads of their father's houses. They were leaders in their homes. They prioritized the things of God. So we can hope and we can pray, but what is mightily important is that we're demonstrating what it looks like to be the head of your home, amen? 
They'll need to see that demonstrated. Two, choice men and women. That they would be choice men and women. I looked up the definition of choice. What does that mean? What did the original text say? It was defined like this, to show oneself pure, just, and kind. That means that his descendants displayed excellent character and morals. They didn't just hear God's law, they heard it and they did it. And and, and so for us, there's a calling on us as we lead our homes, as the priest of our homes, to demonstrate living with a mindset of excellence, expectation, integrity, and faith. And here's what you'll notice, that all of these characters we're discussing are Christ-like characters, right? We'll we'll keep looking. Three, Asherah's valiant warriors. Warriors of valor. They were valiant. This describes individuals who are brave and courageous, willing to risk themselves for the better of the whole. A person of valor is a person who is willing to take a stand when a stand needs to be taken. They were full of courage. Uh, They they made the right decisions in tough times. And so we want to cultivate people who are willing to have valor and courage because we know that we're in a spiritual battle day after day, right? We don't crave to peer pressure or to cultural norms or political correctness. Rather, we rise above it in faith with courage and boldness from the Holy Spirit. It's time to intentionally raise sons and daughters with the heart of valor, to demonstrate it in front of them. And then four, where's the team you can come? Asher raised children who were chief leaders. Now, we could read this. And we could say, so, man, the descendants of Asher, they were really good at telling people what to do, and they were great at delegation, and they carried things out. But we know as we peer into the life of Jesus, we see what true leadership really is. And true leadership is much less about a title, and it's more about a towel, right? (laughs) Washing feet. That's what demon, or that's not demons. That's what Jesus uh, demonstrated, true leadership to be. And so we see these four characteristics and here's what we find is that they were heads of their homes, that spiritual leaders and kingdom culture in the homes, they were, they were heads of their homes and Jesus is the head of the church. And, and so they were men of valor, they were choice men, but they were choice men. And we know that Jesus has personified purity, right? That they were men of valor, that they were valiant warriors. And we know that Jesus conquered the grave, sin, hell, all of it. And that Jesus was a mighty warrior. And then we know that Jesus was the greatest leader the world has ever known. And so like every part of this series, cultivating a kingdom culture in our homes and raising kingdom kids, it all rests on this, inviting the person in the presence of Jesus into every aspect, in every space in our life, giving him him the, the throne of our homes, the throne of our heart. It's about demonstrating Jesus. It's about following him and living that out in front of the people you lead and teaching them to do the same. It's all about Jesus. Praying for our kids, getting the word in our kids for demonstrating his character. And I, and I just believe as we do this that we're going to experience the blessing of God over our lives. 
and as we'll have courage to step into it, that more and more, you may even be surprised of how you're, you're able and the spirit through you is willing to cultivate a kingdom culture in your own home. There's a calling on our lives to be the priests of our homes. Amen?